0: It's been more than a century since the Equal Rights Amendment was first drafted. In 2020, Virginia became the last state needed to ratify the ERA, and yet it is still not in the Constitution. It's infuriating, and it's bad for our country and dangerous for women. We've devoted extensive time over the years to covering the Equal Rights Amendment, and this week, we're revisiting some of those moments in observance of the ERA's 50th anniversary. My book, Sorry Not Sorry, came out last year, and I switched roles and joined the podcast as a guest. We started out that episode with a discussion on why the ERA is so important to me, and I'd like to start this episode the same way.
1: Well, Alyssa Milano, thank you for being part of the podcast. We are going to talk about your book. But before we get there, let's talk about a cause that I know is very important to you, which is the Equal Rights Amendment. And you were just last week in Washington to testify and work on behalf of the amendment. Tell us why it's so important to you.
0: Because women don't have equal protections in the Constitution. And people are shocked when I say that because they believe that those protections should be there. And in order for us to be able to achieve and get full equality, we need the the protections of the Constitution and not have the whim of whatever political party is in office to dictate our freedom, our equality, our humanity, our dignity.
1: The ERA has already passed all of the number of states it needs to be in the Constitution. Why isn't it in the Constitution? Why isn't it there?
0: Okay, so Alice Paul wrote the ERA in 1920. It took until 1972 to actually for it to pass. It passed, but with this arbitrary deadline, which by the way, no other amendment has had a deadline. So of course, why make it easy for women? So when You look at 1972, it passed, it had to be ratified by 38 states. The arbitrary deadline was actually extended to make it a 10-year deadline. So in 1982, we were three states short of the 38 states needed to amend the Constitution. And after Trump got elected, this incredible Black queer state senator from Nevada decided that she was going to rally the Nevada state senators to pass the Equal Rights Amendment and to ratify. So after Trump was elected in 2017, Nevada ratified, and that sparked Illinois to then ratify, which then sparked Virginia to ratify. So we now have the 38 states needed to get the amendment in the Constitution. What we do not have is any sort of bill or legislation to lift the arbitrary deadline. There is a bipartisan bill that Senator Cardin and Murkowski are both co-sponsors on that would do just that. But we are in the process of figuring out what that next step is, whether it be whipping votes or a, a test vote in November to see where we are with that. But, you know, I'd like my daughter to know that she, in the founding document of the United States of America, she has as much power and protection as my son. And I want my son to know that my daughter has as much protection. They say that the ERA is just a symbol. I say that is important, that those symbols are important. That's why when you're married, you wear a wedding band. And Section 2 of the ERA, which doesn't get spoken about as much, allows for legislation on Section 1 of the ERA, which says that, that no one can discriminate on the basis of sex, which legal scholars also have deemed to mean gender. So trans rights will be protected. It's just a really, it's way past Time. And it's something that we need to continue to fight. By the way, and I'm not, this is not obviously the first generation of activists, of feminists that have fought for this. It's been a long time coming, and we deserve to be in the founding documents of the United States of America. You
1: know, it just blows my mind that we purport to be the most free country in the world, and we don't extend the same legal freedom to everybody.
0: What blows my mind is that we've actually had to spin the other amendments to include women, like the 14th Amendment. And people think 14th Amendment, you're covered. You know, we had to spin it to include women. And obviously, there's one sure guarantee that women have in the Constitution. It's the 19th Amendment, which is the women's right to vote, which we also had to fight for. But because we're talking about the 14th Amendment covering women, well, we wouldn't have needed the 19th Amendment if the 14th Amendment covered women and protected women. And Justice Scalia himself, who is a very conservative judge, said that there are no protections for women in the Constitution. We need to pass this amendment. It's time. And we're the only industrialized nation that does not include women in the Constitution. If we lived in Ethiopia, women would have protection in their Constitution. But because we live here, we do not. The fight for equality under the law is not new. It's something we've been working toward since our nation's founding. Historian Julie Sook joined us to discuss this long history, which she covers in detail in her book, We the Women, the Unstoppable Mothers of the Equal Rights Amendment. We often start talking about America by talking about the founding fathers. That includes John Adams, but I want to talk about his wife, Abigail, who was a revolutionary in her own right. Tell us a little bit about her and how she figures into the fight for the Equal Rights Amendment.
2: Well, she said, remember the ladies. And it's so interesting that for a woman during the founding era, there weren't a lot of places where you could say, remember the ladies. And she said it in a letter to her husband, a private document. Although now it's so often quoted as we think about women's rights. And she said it to her husband as he was on his way to the Continental Congress that would then lead to the Declaration of Independence. She knew that eventually there would be a declaration and that they would have to rewrite the laws for the new republic that was going to emerge from all of that and she said, remember the ladies, do not put too much power in the hands of husbands and she said that if women were not remembered they would eventually foment a rebellion and What she was saying was really, she had sort of imbibed the revolutionary atmosphere. She was making the same kinds of arguments that her husband and the revolutionary men were making against the King of England. If we're not represented, if we don't have rights, you have no right to rule over us. It was the exact same argument. She was saying that if women did not have rights, men would have no right to rule over them. And there would be a rebellion. And of course, we did get a rebellion in the form of the women's rights movement. It was a little bit different from the American Revolution because it was a rebellion that was made with words and arguments rather than with guns. And if you make an argument while being excluded from politics with words, and law and arguments, it takes a lot longer
0: than it would take. Apparently it does, as we are still fighting to be a part of the Constitution. I think my next question is, why do you think that John Adams and the other men leading this new nation excluded women from the Constitution?
2: Well, he actually wrote back to that letter, and he kind of mocked her and said that they were not ready for the despotism of the petticoat. And that's to say, at the time, they also just believed that women had their own power in their own sphere. Women ruled the home. And this was inscribed in every part of the legal system. Married women in particular didn't have any rights. They couldn't own their own property. If they actually worked, which they usually couldn't, but if they managed to, they didn't even own their own earnings because only the husband had legal rights. And it was assumed that the husband represented all the other members of the family, including the wife and the children, in the public sphere. This was so natural and part of the legal order that nobody questioned. And it was assumed that this was a legal order that actually worked to women's benefit because they could stay home and focus on the family. They didn't have to dirty themselves or stress themselves out with the work of being part of the economy and part of politics.
0: So the next step in Abigail's revolution comes in the middle of the 19th century in Seneca Falls. Will you just explain to my listeners what happened there?
2: So, of course, leading up to Seneca Falls after the American Revolution, There were plenty of women who organized in churches, and some of the women had joined the abolition movement, and it was even part of the abolition movement that women who were part of that movement began to question women's bondage in marriage and lack of freedom, which is not to say it was exactly the same as slavery, but I think certainly The notion that some human beings had rights and others didn't was a very important point that led up to the Women's Rights Convention in Seneca Falls. I think we tend to think that Seneca Falls is a very significant moment because it produced a document, and it produced a document that mirrored the language of the Declaration of Independence. It said that all men and women were created equal And it was very specific about the grievances, about the abuses of power by men that mirrored the language of the Declaration of Independence in terms of the grievances against the King of England and the importance of being part of the system that makes the laws that we then have to obey. Democracy, not just as a political system, but democracy within the family as well.
0: And then after the Civil War... We had Reconstruction with a flurry of amendments to the Constitution. The 14th Amendment, in particular, is used by people who oppose the ERA when they say it makes it totally unnecessary. Can you tell us a little bit about why we need an ERA despite the Equal Protection Clause in the 14th Amendment?
3: Well, the
2: 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, and it says that no person shall be denied equal protection of the laws.
1: There's a story about a white Unionist in the South whose support for newly freed Blacks angers his neighbors. They come over one night and basically tell him to shut up. When he refuses, they take him outside, tie him to a tree and horsewhip him. And they tell him if they have to come back again, they're gonna hang him from that same tree. But the man had nowhere to turn because the South at this time was a place of lawless tyranny. The 14th Amendment was designed to stamp out that tyranny by requiring government officials to respect the basic civil rights of all Americans.
2: It doesn't just say men, at least in the first clause of the 14th Amendment, but strangely, in Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, that was the first time ever in constitutional history in the United States that the framers of that amendment used the word male. And they were just describing what would happen if you disenfranchised some of the formerly enslaved. And they only talked about male voters. So it was very clear from the text of the 14th Amendment that those who adopted it and ratified it were not really thinking of women as voters or equal participants in our political system. And this was also tested shortly after the 14th Amendment went into effect. Women tried to vote, claiming that they had equal rights under the 14th Amendment, but they were turned away and even prosecuted for attempting to vote. And that's why they believed that they needed the 19th Amendment, but then the 19th Amendment, which is a struggle that took decades, finally ratified, but only speaks to the right to vote, not to be denied or abridged on account of sex, doesn't speak to all the other rights that exist in our legal and political order, including the right to own property, the right to have power over your own children as a parent, the right to control your own earnings, the right to work, the right to sue and be sued. These are all things that were restricted under state law around the time that the ERA was introduced in 1923. And that's how the idea of the ERA really gets started. But it changes over time, largely because women fought so hard. Women were smart enough to realize that they could assert their rights under the 14th Amendment and they did. That was led by Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a lawyer, Polly Murray, who was a pioneering civil rights attorney. They made arguments under the 14th Amendment and won some of them, but they did not win everything that they sought to win under the 14th Amendment. There were still Supreme Court decisions in the 1970s that said if you discriminate against Women, because they're pregnant, that's not sex discrimination. That's not unconstitutional. There are many laws that Congress adopted saying that they were going to promote gender equality by, for example, combating violence against women. And the Supreme Court said that the 14th Amendment's powers did not reach that far. So those are the, some, some of the reasons now, which are different from the reasons that were given 100 years ago as to why an Equal Rights Amendment is still so vital and necessary.
0: One of the glaring places we see gender disparities in America is in the military, and particularly in the way the military treats sexual assault and harassment within its ranks. In fact, it's so prevalent that nearly a quarter of the women in the military report being assaulted. But our government is currently protected from being sued by these service members under something called the Ferris Doctrine. I discussed this problem with A.G., veteran and host of the Mueller She Wrote and Daily Beans podcast. What do you think the prevalence of sexual assault and, and trauma in the military is? Like uh, if you I had to
4: come up with a, a percentage... I think it's more than in the population at large. I think it's probably closer to one in three, if I had to guess.
0: (sighs) My gosh. Reporting sexual assault in the military is not easy. You hear these stories, they all have the same ending. It never ends well with the victim.
5: We interviewed 150 service members and
0: veterans across all the branches of the military who experienced retaliation after reporting their
4: sexual assault. Administrative punishments and all of that started happening. happen. We're
0: talking press. about serious threats, harassment, loss of job
5: opportunities and promotions, disciplinary actions, criminal.
4: even times when we were taking this to court to try to get just like what you were saying about the institution we were trying to get the decision to press charges against rapes out of the hands of the base commanders because if a base commander has a rape on his base it makes him or her look bad so they tend to sweep them under the rug so they wanted to take the decision to prosecute these cases out of the hands of the commanders and put it into like an outside civilian group which, like, if you had on set, there would be an outside group that would right. that would make these decisions, not the director who could lose the whole production or the show that could lose the show, you know, right. whatever it is. And, and so, when we were taking that to court uh, to to take that decision out, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand was helped leading that charge. It had come up in in court that that rape was an occupational hazard in the military.
0: There is a movement to get rid of the Ferris Doctrine so that you can press charge You know, things like, and I don't know if my listeners know this, but, like, you can't sue a military doctor for malpractice based on the Ferris Doctrine.
4: Imagine that someone you love
2: has been sexually assaulted. Imagine it's your daughter, and she's away at college.
4: What could she do?
1: In addition to criminal charges, she could file a lawsuit against both the attacker and the school.
4: Now imagine that your daughter was sexually assaulted while serving in the military.
1: So now what can she do?
2: Absolutely nothing. In the 1950s, the Supreme Court decided Fairies versus United States, which created the Fairies Doctrine. The Ferris Doctrine states that military service members are prohibited from bringing civil lawsuits. This doesn't just apply to injuries suffered during combat or training. Oh, that.
4: Yeah, no, this was more about legislation they were trying to pass to try to get the decision to press charges out of the hands of the commanders. But I do know that one of the people who I made the documentary with, the Invisible War documentary with, did actually try to sue the Secretary of Defense and the government. And I think that it was the Ferris Doctrine that blocked that from happening.
0: Well, it's so interesting because members of the military are governed by an entirely different set of laws. Do you think that that played into your rapist's ability to just totally avoid
4: consequences? Yeah, I'm not sure if that was a conscious choice or a, a, some knowledge that they had, or if it was just because of the culture. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess knowing that nobody ever gets in trouble for this, like you said, then it, it's sort of a free for all. Right.
0: Did you have any legal recourse at all?
4: No. (sighs) No, I was too terrified to tell anyone. By the time they were done questioning me and threatening me and telling me I would lose my benefits and my GI bill and my health care and my sign-in bonus, and I'd be on a ship in the middle of the ocean swabbing decks for 20 years, making no money. like They sufficiently scared the shit out of me, so I didn't tell anyone.
0: It's so crazy to me, and people might not be aware of this, but members of the military are not able to sue the government for sexual assaults that happen while serving. How did this experience
4: affect your military career? I got out. I actually had to have surgery on my feet, and so they actually randomly coincidental. They said, "You know, we could either do this surgery on your feet or you have to get out of the military." And I saw that as a way out. So I took it and after leaving the Navy, what did you do? I married somebody I met in the Navy. We were quickly divorced, and my mental health just deteriorated. I didn't know why. Because not only did they sufficiently scare the shit out of me so I didn't report the rape, they actually made me believe that I wasn't raped, that it was my fault, and that oh, what, what, what no, had so happened sorry. was a bad decision on my part, to quote them. It was so ingrained in me that it was me who did that to myself, that when my very best friend was assaulted, I was saying the same things to her that they had said to me. Like, why were you drinking? Why were you flirting with that guy? Right. Why did you put yourself in that situation? Here I am, victim blaming my best friend because that's how I felt about myself. And so I try to be very gentle with women who do that because I often wonder if it's because they themselves are survivors.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And also just we've been conditioned to even if we don't believe it, but to at least hear it and say it, right? Like, that's kind of been our imprinting from the cultural patriarchy of sexual assault and sexual violence. Trans women are women, full stop. In October of 2021, I joined a number of remarkable women in testifying on behalf of the ERA in Congress. One of those women was Bambi Salcedo. She's a Latinx trans activist, and her powerful story explains just why it is so important to pass the ERA to protect trans women.
5: I now recognize Mrs. Salcedo. You are recognized for your testimony. Thank you, Madam Chair. Primero que nada, quiero dar gracias a mi creador, Mi poder superior, poderme la oportunidad de estar con vida un día más. También quiero honrar la tierra en la cual estamos aquí hoy en día, y pedir permiso a la gente de Natochkán y Pescatagua que me permitan decir unas palabras en su tierra. Greetings, everyone. I know that it was hard for some of you to understand what I just said, but it is customary for me that before I speak, I acknowledge my Creator for allowing me to breathe one more day. I also honor the land where we're standing today, and I ask permission from the Natchitoches and the Piskatawa peoples to allow me to speak in their land today. I'm humbly grateful to be in your presence today. Thank you, Chairwoman Maloney and members of this committee for allowing me to share my experience, strength, and hope with you today. My name is Bambi Salcedo, and, I am very, and I'm a very privileged trans Latina woman who has the honor to be the president and the CEO of the TransLatina Coalition, a national advocacy organization based in Los Angeles that also provides social support and life-saving services to gender, to trans, gender nonconforming, and intersex people. I also serve as a board member of the ERA Coalition. My experience is that of a person who has had the opportunity to to survive many horrific experiences simply for being who I am a trans woman who is Latina, an immigrant, someone who has overcome constant discrimination, multiple sexual assaults, homelessness, drug addiction, including overdoses. And left for death in alleys. I spent over 14 years of my life incarcerated. I have been chased out of neighborhoods and beaten. I had to do sex work as means to survive. I had had guns pointed into my head. I committed multiple suicide attempts. I experienced all of this because I was pushed by our society because there were no laws or protections against discrimination to protect people like myself. I can honestly say that I have survived things that you probably are not able to imagine. But what is most unfortunate is that the same issues that I have endured and overcome, many members of my community are experiencing today all across the country, even in California, which is the state that has the most inclusive legislation to protect trans people. 2021 will be a record number of murders in the trans community. I have seen many of my friends die. I have organized more funerals than celebrations in my community. All of this because we have no national legislation that will serve as a protection for all people. I know that you're probably going to say, what about the Equality Act? The truth is that the Equality Act does not look at all of the intersections across my life and will not provide constitutional equality. For example, I am glad that my friend Monica Ramirez started Latina Equal Pay Day, which we're acknowledging with sadness today. As a trans Latina woman, we pay, the pay gap is enormous. The discrimination that we experience while trying to get employment in the work and in the workplace is rampant. The Equality Act would not support other trans women and me obtaining employment and being compensated in value equally for our work. The Equal Rights Amendment will help ensure no discrimination against all peoples, poor, indigenous, black, trans, women, all peoples. My strength is that I get to share with you who I am and what I have overcome and how people have uplifted me and supported me to heal my wounds, which unfortunately our government has failed to do. My strength is that I speak to you with my truth because my truth is my power. My hope is that you understand the opportunity that we have in this moment in time, that you understand that the Equal Rights Amendment is what our nation needs right now to heal the intergenerational wounds generated against the most marginalized. I hope you open your hearts and your minds and you do the humane thing to do to ensure that all peoples, not only those who are like me, have the rights that we deserve, that we get to be acknowledged as the human beings that we are, that we're given some dignity and that we honor the work of many people who have tried for more, than 50 de- for more than five decades to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. We have an excellent opportunity to support all peoples and not just some. While I support the Equality Act and its passage, the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment nationally needs to happen. I hope that I get to see the passage of the Equality Rights Amendment in my lifetime. Every day, I'm afraid that I can be killed simply because I am a trans woman. I ask that you see that there is no... Other time like what we have today, that we do not continue to see the visions, not continue to feel messages that say some people are more than serving than others, but that we see people in this country need to be protected in value, and to use your power to ensure the affirmation of the Equal Rights Amendment. There is no time like with the present, and the time to act favorably about the Equal Rights Amendment is now. Please be, please be on the right side of history. Only you can do that for yourself. And many people depend on you to do what is humane. I am sure that generations to come will see then who are the people who understood what human and civil rights are, who use their power for the betterment of all peoples. Today is a historic day, and I want for you to ask yourselves, do I want to be on the right side of history? I hope your conscience says yes. I invite you to imagine a new world a world of constitutional equality, equality, and freedom for all. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your presence today.
0: Heard from Bambi Salcido as she testified in front of the House Oversight Committee chaired by Carolyn Maloney. I was also honored to testify that day. Here's what I had to say, Madam Chair, distinguished members of the committee. Thank you for holding this hearing and for inviting me to share some thoughts with you today. While I will speak briefly about the importance of the ERA. This hearing is not a debate on that amendment. That debate is over. We won. The states have directed Congress to amend the Constitution and now it is the duty of Congress and the administration to get out of the way and remove the arbitrary unnecessary and shameful deadline that was cynically imposed nearly half a century ago as a poison pill. Since the earliest days of our nation, women have been fighting, not waiting, but fighting for inclusion in our founding document. From the Seneca Falls suffragists to Alice Paul, from Shirley Chisholm and Gloria Steinem to the inspiring generation of young women and queer activists and allies of the new millennium. We have pleaded for centuries, a simple and powerful thing. Equality under the law. I want my daughter, Bella, to grow up knowing she has the same rights as every man in this country. And I want my son, Milo, and every boy in America to know that too. They deserve a government that cannot treat them differently because of gender. If there is one word which defines the American identity, it is freedom. We call our president the leader of the free world. When we present ourselves to other nations advocating across the globe for democracy and human rights, it is freedom which drives that discussion. There are even members of this very committee who belong to something called the Freedom caucus. But how can we be a free people when our governing document does not prohibit discrimination against more than half of the population? The answer, of course, is that we cannot. The lack of constitutional protections for anyone who is not a cisgender man is a blemish on the very idea of Americanism. As long as the Constitution allows gender-based discrimination, the United States can never achieve the greatness to which it aspires. 85% of UN member states have constitutions which explicitly guarantee equality for women and girls. Madam Chair, if you lived in Latvia or Iceland, you would be assured of having the same rights as the men on this committee. Here in the United States of America, you are not. Today, a white man on this committee will probably ask me which rights American women do not have that American men do. Allow me to preempt that question. There are many current gender-driven injustices in our country but the constitution is not simply about the present the constitution is about what we bring far into the future it exists to protect us from the what ifs the era will outlive every one of us it is a permanent protection of our most basic rights your obligation to the people of our nation, not just today, but in the centuries to come, requires you to take action. The framers failed us when they did not include women in the constitution. Congress failed us when it added the deadline for ratification of the ERA. You, the members of this committee have the opportunity and the obligation to fix the Constitution and stop it from failing us. Will you take it? Will you answer the call of history and the promise of the future? Or will you continue to allow the enemies of equality to continue to prevent America from being a truly free nation? These are your only options. We're going to end this episode with a speech I gave at the 2021 Los Angeles Women's March. And we're ending here because in this speech, I talk directly to men about what they need to do to be effective allies. Here's a hint. It's not just showing up at marches. We need you, men. We need you to put the active in activists. We can't do it without you. I'm gonna need you all to get fired up right now, okay? Because I'm tired. I'm tired, as a woman, I'm so tired of having to continually prove that my body is my own. I am tired of needing to insist on having a say in my own reproductive health. tired, y'all, of Greg Abbott and Brian Kemp and Ron DeSantis and fucking Brett Kavanaugh having a single word to say about anyone's uterus. Brett Kavanaugh has no business anywhere near my reproductive rights. I cannot believe how fucked up America is right now and I can't believe how a handful of men are successfully taking 50 years of rights away from women and how a Supreme Court packed with abusers is just gonna sit by and let it all fucking happen can't believe that a single man from West Virginia might be the only one to tank a national protection of abortion rights in this country. So part of my message today is for the men who showed up here at this event. And any man who's watching from afar, you know what, men, let me put your fist in the air. Let me see you. Look around at each other, men. Look around. Because I have some questions for all of the fellas. Women are under attack almost entirely by men. What the fuck are you going to do about it? It's great that you're here. Thank you so much for being here. But please don't mistake marching, showing up for a single event with being an effective ally in this fight. How many of you made calls to your legislators? How many women have you voted for? How many women have you hired, promoted, mentored? If you're in a religion that oppresses women, have you confronted your clergy? How much money are you planning to give to Planned Parenthood, to NARAL, to the ERA Coalition, or the Women's March Action Fund? You need to take action and keep taking action until this is all fixed. Use your privilege to destroy your own privilege. Listen, if women don't have the right to our own bodies in America, none of us have any rights. And guess where that starts? That starts in the U.S. Constitution, and it is time for the president and the leaders in Congress to enact the Equal Rights Amendment as they have been directed to do by the states. And they need to do it fucking now. Now, I have a question for everyone. After each question, I want you to answer with my body, my choice. Are you ready? What do we say to men who want to take away our rights? What do we say to the governor of Texas? What do we say to the senators who are blocking passage to the Women's Health Protection Act? And what do we say to Brett Kavanaugh, to Clarence Thomas, to of the Supreme Court, my body, my choice. You're damn right. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. This is the most dangerous time to be a woman in America. And I'm going to leave now with a prayer. I need all of your help. When I say a word, you say the word after me. Really actually hold hands or whatever you're comfortable with with each other really look at each other and make Make this a moment of a community. I Want you to say I I Believe believe that that we will win Do you think that you deserve the same protection as little boys?
3: Uh, yes. That's
0: right. Are you are girls and boys equal? Yes. That's right. I would even say that you are faster than most of the boys on <laughs> your baseball team. <laughs> You're pretty fast. You can do anything. You make me proud. <laughs> what does equality mean to you?
3: Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know.
0: Is it that no one is better or worse than anyone else? We are all equals? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much longer do we need to wait? How much longer do women need to wait? How many more years have to pass before we have equal rights under the law? How many more dollars will we lose to a pay gap? How many more of us will be denied an inherent dignity of control over our own reproductive health? How many other nations will look to the United States as an example and exclude women from their founding documents. How can any of us be free? How do any of us, any of our rights matter when they are not equally applied to more than half of our nation's population? Obviously, we can't be free. We are not living up to the founding ideas of America. We are so much less than we should be. The president needs to direct the National Archivist today to publish the Equal Rights Amendment as the required 38 states have directed. Congress needs to remove the non-binding and arbitrary deadline for ratification. And American women need to stand protected by the document that so many of us revere, the United States Constitution. We can't wait another minute, let alone another 50 years. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry, not sorry.